And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 37 today. Uh, we're going to be talking about addiction, the opioid crisis, OCD depression, and recovery with our uh, good buddy, Matt Dietrich. Yo, yo. What's going on there, Matt? How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I think this is actually really important and relevant topic these days. Um, the shit's spreading like wildfire across the country. Um, so why don't we jump into this? Um, little background. We all knew each other. We all grew up, uh, same area outside of Detroit and we all went to high school together. We all hung out together. Um, and then, uh, you and I hung out a lot when we both moved to Chicago after high school. And, um, we used to party a lot. Everything was great. And then uh, at the same time, I got hit with OCD. I don't know where you kind of started going down this path with, uh, you know, pills and drinking and stuff. So why don't you talk about what you think the catalyst for what that was? And was it something that had been there the whole time? Or, you know, what, what was the deal with that? For sure. So, I mean, the way I look at it, um, you know, I started experimenting drugs and alcohol when I was like 14. I think I smoked weed in Hawaii for the first time with my brother um, on vacation. Yeah, when I was like 14, 15. And I think, you know, from where we grew up, like that was kind of the thing to do. Um, I felt like it made me part of the in crowd or whatever. And, um, you know, I could, I could get weed or whatever from my brother, get alcohol and kind of took it from there. So I'd say I, you know, I, I experimented in high school, um, with a variety of things, but it wasn't really until my like early to mid twenties, like we were hanging out in when I, when I was probably what, like 22 to 25 yeah. And I'd say things really got bad beginning around age like 25. Um, I wouldn't say there was any one thing in particular that sparked it. Um, it's kind of the way I look at it now is I was born this way. It's the way I've always been. Um, you know, the, the, the issue isn't drugs or alcohol. The issue is me. And it's the way I interact with these things. And once I get, once I get introduced to them, you know, it's, it starts a process that's, that's hard to stop. What do you think though? Like I have a theory on that too. I think addiction is just a form of OCD, meaning that you're like mind loop. Like what I would do when I'm, I was at my worst, whether it be washing my hands or organizing shit or cleaning shit or whatever. Um, I think it's the same thing. I think you're just addicted to something that can actually physically harm you or affect your life in a negative way. Yeah, no, that's spot on because I mean, I've diagnosed OCD too. And my thing is like cleanliness and organization. (laughs) 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 I think it's cleanliness and organization. And, um, it's, it is. It's a matter of like control, you know, it's like, what can I do to 
giving, give myself this perception of perceived control. And with addiction, it's the, it's the same thing. It's just I'm using a substance and thinking I have control over that, thinking I have control over my life um, by coping through using substances or drinking. So there's not, it, one, there's not one particular event that kind of drew, drew you to start using heavily or... No, no. I mean, I think, like, when I was... So, like, when I was super young, I lived in Japan. Um, I mean, I was in, like, a big earthquake then. And I think that that kind of... That made me, like, a very anxious person. And I think once right. I started experimenting in high school, it wasn't just a matter of, like, okay you know, this is what I can use to help me socialize. It's like, this is what I can use to help me cope with that anxiety. It can make me feel comfortable, like, in my own skin or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think, though, like, in terms of, you said 25. I mean, that's, that's you know, same thing for me with my OCD. I think, you know, we talked about this on other episodes. There's, you know, there's sometimes, you know, there's studies out that show, you know, your brain's not fully developed until you're 25. So maybe, you know, all those years of us partying and doing stuff when we were younger had, I don't want to say it caused it, but maybe it brought stuff out that wasn't, you know. Or your brain didn't develop on the surface. The right yeah, yeah. Well, it was hidden in there somewhere and then it came out and manifested itself in that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, so I'm in school for this, this stuff now and... I, what I've learned is that like, I have a genetic, I had a genetic predisposition to addiction and, you know, if person A tried smoking weed and didn't have that, you know, history or, you know, predisposition, they can put it down. Whereas like once I picked it up, it kind of flicked a switch and I took it to the extreme. And I think it was... It's, it's progressive and it's like a, it's a very slow process. I mean, it can be slow for me. I feel like it took a matter of like 10 years until it really got bad. And no, that's, a, that's exactly what I, cause I was a drinker and so, I mean, I still drink, but I try and control it as best as I can. But when I was 25, that's when it started ramping up. I mean, I was in a band, I was playing gigs, I was surrounded by booze at all the time. And then it just started ramping up slowly, you know, and then you start drinking more and more. And then the next thing you know, you're fucking just you're blacking out all the time and right, right. you just don't really know how you got to that point. You know, it's just kind of like one day you wake up and it's like, fuck, where did this, no, that's, that's exactly how I feel about it. Like I, I think that sure, like hanging out, partying in high school and college might've contributed, but that's not the cause. Like this was bound to happen regard, like regardless of, my childhood or whatever experiences, you know, happened growing up. Like it was, I feel like it was just a matter of time until this happened. You said predisposition. Um, I, I go back and forth on that in my own head. Um, so I have alcoholism on both sides of my family. I mean, we've had uncles that have, you know, passed away from it and, uh, you know, other family members and stuff. And, I fucking hate alcohol. Like, I think it's the worst drug out of all of them, in my opinion, and just the way it makes you feel. I mean, I've never done any of the hard, crazy drugs, but in terms of, like, 
you know, your, your psychedelics and your pot and like all that kind of stuff. I think alcohol is probably the worst one and it reveals a dark side of your ego as well. Um, but my question is, do you think that, um, the predisposition thing, like I said, do you think it's just you falling into like that? If somebody's addicted to alcohol, it's really easy to get. So that part of their OCD is like, Oh, okay, I'm going to latch onto this. This is something that I can do or pills. I can go to the doctor and keep getting these pills or something like that. But you know, do you think it really is a genetic thing or do you think you have like people have the tools to avoid that? Or is that not the case? Do you think? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I think that, I mean, I too go back and forth. I mean, I do think it's a disease. I think that, I think that just because it's in your family, like doesn't mean you have that particular gene though, you know, like, or I think it's in everyone's family. I don't think everybody's got that crazy fucking uncle. Yeah. What I'm saying though is I drink, you know, I drank when I was younger, but I didn't drink you know, we would go out, we'd go to bars and whatever, but I used, you right. know, I, w- I wouldn't drink like tons of it. I would drink like a couple beers or something. I wasn't there to right. get hammered, you know? So for me, it's always been like, why well, I, I never understood why people well, you, do well, it. You don't like that feeling when I drink, I love that shit, but I hate it at the yeah, same time. But what time I'm saying is predisposition. Shouldn't I love it then based on both sides of my family background being genetically predisposed to this or yeah, but I think that it can come out in so many different forms. And for you, like it was, so it wasn't particularly alcohol. It was OCD or right, yeah. OCD, and it came out in that form. And I think that that probably has something to do with it. But again, I mean, I I think just because it's there doesn't mean you're guaranteed to have it. You know what I mean? Like right. But I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like that's an that's an area of debate, and like there's there is no like solid concrete answer for that. Well, yeah, it's interesting because if you look at a family with like you know seven kids, one of them's an alcoholic, one yeah. of them does pills, some of them are are fine, so they're all coming from the same genetics. Exactly. So, so do you think though, like? Uh... Why don't you talk about a little bit of what you, if you don't mind, if what you were doing when it got bad, like what was your like routine or what were you taking or, you know? So at its worst, I mean, so I've been the first, I'm 34 now. The first time I entered treatment, I was 27. So this has been a seven year process that I look at as like that was the start of my recovery and sure I've had slips and relapses and going back out and like full blown returning to use for a year at a time. But like, I I still look at this whole thing as like a seven year chunk of, of time. And I think that like, so I'll speak to like the relapses in a second, but like leading up to that period when I first entered treatment, it was wake up, smoke some weed, uh, get ready, go to work, smoke some more weed at work, um, and just in my head all day long, obsessing, thinking, what am I going to drink tonight? How can I get pills? What am I going to take? And if, so if I didn't have it, it was obsessing, how can I get it? 
if I had it, it was trying to moderate and thinking like, well, if I take three of these and four of these, then it'll be the perfect buzz. But then I don't want to get too fucked up and always getting it always ending in the same with the same picture, which was me blacking out, waking up the next day, not knowing what happened, um, thinking, how did I do this again? And, and waking up thinking, you know, knowing that there's a problem, but not have like being too fearful to do anything about it. Um, I mean, I was taking at, at, at like its worst, I was probably taking like 30 pills a day. And that was like a mixture of benzos and opiates. And so that was Norco, Vicodin, Percocet, uh, immediate release and extended release Oxy. And, you know, every benzo in the book, Xanax, Ativan, Clonopin, Valium, and then mixing all that at nighttime with alcohol. I, I wasn't like a morning drinker or generally wasn't a day. I wasn't a day drinker during the week. I went to work and would usually drink once I got home. Weekend was like completely different story. And I think it just got to the point where like, again, I was blacking out every night, not remembering what happened. And like a girlfriend at the time pointed, like we had broken up, we were living together and I was always hiding it from her. She had like dumped all my stuff numerous times and, you know, just causing all these fights. We ended up moving out and like we're on and off. And she like found me one night, like passed out in a plate of pizza <laughs> Not to laugh, but no. Illuminati's? It's like a David Hasselhoff type scenario. I think it was Pequods. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I woke up the next day and she was sleeping on my sofa and we didn't live together at this point. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, she's like, dude, don't you remember what happened last night? Like, I came here, I cleaned you, I found you passed out, I cleaned you up, like, I changed your sheets, I washed them. I had wine. You were arguing, yelling at me, telling me to give you the wine. I'm like, I don't remember any of this shit. So she was like, dude, you know, maybe you have a problem. Like maybe you should check out treatment. And it was at that point that like that kind of sparked something in me. And I'm like, all right, like time, like I knew there was an issue, but it's like, all right, it's time to like face up to this and do something about this. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, weed was always there. Um, I didn't look at that as an issue at all. I'm like, that was an all-day, everyday thing. And I'm like, no, never mind that. That's natural. Like, that's not a big deal. It's these, it's these fucking pills, you know? These doctors are prescribing me them. And I justified it saying, like, well, I have scripts for all these. Like, it's not a big deal. Never mind the fact that I'm going through my month's supply in five to seven days. And then drinking with them. Um, and then I'd go through like a week of detox and then a week of like plotting, how am I going to get this? And then the refill would come, you know, rubbing my hands together. Can't wait to get it. And the whole thing would just start over again. Precious. Um, but I guess what my question would be is, was there, how, how did you get into taking those? Cause I know you look, we used to hang out, we used to party, we used to do stuff from time to time, but we never did like pills or anything, but how did you, get into that pill specific culture. Did you break a bone? Did you hurt yourself? Or was it just something that you just wanted to start taking to get fucked up? Um, it was always on my radar in high school. Like I'd say high school was like weed every day, you know, before school, like starting 10th grade, it was before school, 
that break we had in between like second and third hour or whatever, mm-hmm. lunch, after school, and before bed. And oh, then Tuesdays, you know. Right, right. <laughs> and then alcohol on the weekends, you know. There was a period, there was like a year when I was doing blow every weekend. Um, and then mushrooms, some acid, nitrous, things like that was all sporadic. But there was always like this desire to take pills. I remember like asking one of our friends, like, because his mom had a prescription for Valium. And I'm like, give me some of those Valium. And he's like, dude, why do you want these things? They just make me sleepy. I'm like, not me. Like, they make me feel good. You know, it's just, it's, it was like an instant relief and something that I always like sought out, but not like I would get them when I could get my hands on them. Um, but whatever. So the first time I got prescribed pills was when I got my wisdom teeth out. I was like 22. I got a bottle of 30 Vicodin with a refill. Cause at that point in time, they could, you could still get refills on it. It wasn't a schedule two drug. And I was like, holy shit, like, I went through maybe half the bottle, like, for the actual pain, and I had, like, 15 left over, and I was like, dude, I have a full refill, and my mom was like, you better not get that thing refilled, and I'm like, fuck that, and, like, went and got refilled a few days later, and and that, I remember people telling me, like, be super careful, these things are really addictive, like, I'm like, no, no, it's fine, like, it's a few pills, the doctor prescribed them, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Like not having any yeah, idea. Fuck the doctors, man. These guys. <laughs> like not having any idea where this could lead to. Um, and I had then, a buddy the same exact thing, man. He took them because he was prescribed them, and then right. next thing you know, it's like fuck. And, and then the thing was, well, I have OCD and anxiety, so I'm going to go to a psychiatrist and manipulate him and scam him and get as many benzos as I can. Then it just opened up the door, and I, I actually I got my tonsils out when I was 25, and they were giving me liquid Lortab, and it was at that point that I realized, like, okay, I can go to the doctor and get my drugs. Like, this is the new dope, man. This is how I'm going to do this. And that just opened up the floodgates. I started seeing a psychiatrist just bullshitting him all to get benzos, and then I went and, like, started saying I had back pain, and I got, like, I took it, I was getting, like, steroid injections. I was getting, I got an MRI on my back, and it showed that I had, like, shit wrong with two discs. And that was, like, okay, free reign. Like, I'll start prescribing you whatever you want. I got a doctor on Michigan Avenue that was, like, an immediate care, but he also had a, uh, was, like, a primary care doctor, like, on the second floor. And he was just, like, well, I should probably stop giving you Vicodin because it has Tylenol in it. So I'll give you Oxy instead because it doesn't have the Tylenol and that's what's dangerous. I'm like, Oh, that's a great idea. Jesus. <laughs> and then he was giving wow. me like 90 Xanax at a time for insurance purposes. I'm like, I need to get these like the three months supply at a time. And uh, yeah, it just, it went downhill from there. Man, if you could use your powers for good, you'd be fucking you'd <laughs> right. be saving the world how much energy did you put into this shit dude it was all consuming like i look at that shit i had this down to a fucking science and like all these times that i've relapsed it's it's a process where like i know what like my thing is urgent care clinics so i'll go there i know what to say i know how to say it i know what symptoms to have and i can 
it's it's gotten to the point where like in a matter of an hour i'll hop in an uber go to the doctor say what i need to say get my script get it filled and be popping that first pill all in under 60 minutes it's like it's fucking disgusting i want to touch back on something you said um you said back in high school we used to sometimes do mushrooms and sometimes do acid. Uh, those are being used to cure addiction yeah. now. Um, and the same thing with pot. I know you said pot was a crux for you. It was like the, the beginning kind of, I don't think it, when, when you said that, I didn't think gateway, but what I did think was you had done it so long that it was just programmed. Um, so you weren't even thinking about it as it being a drug, but it is. I mean, anybody, if you smoke it every day and then you don't smoke, you notice, Oh, This is what this does. Uh, But do you think, though, I know your path um, wasn't conducive with, like, that kind of a treatment, and I know everybody's different, um, but do you think that there is some validity to that? Because when you do, like, mushrooms or you do acid or you do something along those lines of psychedelic, you generally don't want to do it again. And, in fact, when you do it, it shows you the faults in your life, and you want to fix those when you get done with it. So, um do you think that there is something to that for some people? And that it's one of those things where this should be some like individualized programs to help people. Yeah. So that, I'm happy you brought that up because I mean, one, I don't, I don't know anything about it treating like addiction. Um, I know like for me, abstinence is the answer. Like it, like in all the years of therapy and in my schooling and like what I do now, it's like, the, the the like biggest issue is like all or white or all or nothing like black or white thinking and this is the one thing that i'll like say it is all or nothing for me and like i don't think that i'm gonna fix my you know pill problem by taking a different drug by or you know i'm, I'm not gonna stop taking opiates by smoking weed all day every day or I'm not going to have some like life changing experience through hallucinogens. That's for me personally. Let me ask you a question though. What, what if you had never, do you, you know, think about if you had never taken or smoked pot or something before and you had just done the opiate, because there's a lot of people that do that. They'll just start taking pills and they don't even smoke pot or drink or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's okay. So it's like this again, for me, the answer is, is not harm reduction. It's abstinence. Like it's all or nothing. Sure. School has opened my eyes, like to, to your point, what you said, it is a case by case basis. Like we're all so different. Like, yeah, we all have this disease of addiction, but like everyone's story and everyone's recovery is different. Like the specifics are different and whatever works for someone, you know, I'm like, whatever works for someone works for someone and more power to you. If you found something that is not, gonna threaten your life harm put your life in danger and allows you to lead like a healthy happy life and not hurt other people in the process then like more power to you you know i can't speak to it from like a specific like my own experience but yeah well, like that. I'll, I'll give you an example so we both like we acknowledge we both have ocd my ocd i had gone to cbd therapy or cbt therapy i had gone and taken every pill that the you know psychiatrists and psychologists recommended i had 
done all those programs for a year why I wasn't smoking. I wasn't doing anything. I was just doing what they told me to do, trying to get good sleep, trying to, you know, whatever, getting a, a cycle and, and do the right thing. Now it made it worse um, for me. So I had to actually stop taking everything because I felt something within myself. I'm like, I'm just going to stop taking all this stuff. So I stopped taking all, you know, the Zolofs and the Xanaxes and the fucking Lexapros and the Wellbutrin, anything that they gave me to try, I had to stop taking because it was just making me feel worse. Uh, I ended up going back to plant medicines, you know, vaping here and there and smoking and occasionally doing some, you know, other stuff. Um, but in terms of that, I think they're doing research now, like psilocybin creates new neuron connections in the brain. Um, they're de- treating depression with ketamine. Uh, it's actually been proven one ketamine dose can cure a whole life's worth of depression in some people. So what, so what you were saying, I think is true. I think it is individualized. So I just think that we, everybody who thinks big pharma has got all the answers and all these doctors have all the answers. They don't, they're just, they're just like treating us like guinea pigs basically. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the pharmaceutical industry is completely fucked and that's all, a lot of that shit is, is poison, you know, and, that should be the title of this thing. <laughs> Pharmaceutical companies are fucked. <laughs> um, but but also, like, to your point... But some of that stuff does help people. Like Zoloft, I know oh, people that it has I'm, helped. I, I still take an antidepressant, and I take a small dose of an antipsychotic, and that works for me, for my OCD. Those aren't controlled substances. I've never abused them. Like, for me, now, at this point, like, being a fucking pill junkie is, like, I can't take anything that's, like, on an as-needed basis. If I take it and, like, two weeks later I notice a difference in myself, that's okay. But, like, I mean, obviously I take, like, Tylenol or Aleve for pain. Something with, like, an immediate effect, you're saying. Yeah, anything that's, like, PRN, like, as-needed, you know, that's prescribed, that's even if it's not a controlled substance, it can be, like, prescription strength Benadryl, and I'll, I'll eat 10 of them and be like, Oh, I'm, I'm all sleepy now. Like I feel different. Like the whole point is to feel different than I currently feel. And like, so I just stay away from all that shit. But I I do think that when it comes to mental health in general, um, for people that aren't struggling with addiction, I do think that like, like whatever that if science is showing that like these drugs are helping people, you know, with their depression or anxiety or whatever, I think that's awesome. Well, I think it was poo-pooed for so long. There wasn't any real research done on that. It was just controlled by the government. So right. Right. what? I, and then you look at ancient times, you know, look at, go to South America. That's how they treat right. illness. They, you do an ayahuasca ceremony, you know, so and it helps a lot of people. But that's, again, that's not the answer for everybody. So just like where I said it helped me, I think this is a good productive conversation because we're two different people with similar kind of stuff, except yours manifested in a different way. Mine mani- uh, manifested it in an opposite way, but we're still here talking about similarities, you know, within um, those instances. But so do you think though, um, in terms of like, why don't you talk about your recovery and uh, how that played out and, and, and kind of how you got into what you're doing now? So like, like I was saying before, it's been, you know, this seven year journey from when I first entered treatment 
which was like an IOP, an intensive outpatient, like four days a week, like an evening program. And uh, like since that time, there's been multiple treatments, like there's been more outpatient, there's been intensive outpatient, there's been multiple detoxes, there's been inpatient, you know, like month-long stays. And it's it's been a... Uh, it's been a long process. Like I think that each time I come in knowing that there's an issue and I haven't been like when I was 27, I like all I wanted to do was stop taking pills. I didn't want to stop drinking. I didn't want to stop smoking weed. I'm like, what do you mean I have to stop everything? Like, that's not what I signed up for. I just want to stop blacking out every night. And they're like, no dude, like, this is an abstinence-based program. Like, you're going to stop everything, and we encourage you to go, like, work a 12-step program. I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, I just came here to get fixed. This is going to take a few weeks, and I'll be better. And, like, wow, you know, how different, you know, things actually are from what I thought. And uh, I think I needed, like, every use I had, every relapse I had, I think it was necessary for me to get to a place of like where I'm at now. So I, I just recently had a year again and I've, so my sobriety dates, August 11th, 2017. And congratulations. Thank you. And I've, I've had 18 months before, but it's different. Like, I feel like at that point I, I was abstaining and this time I'm like truly sober. Like I've addressed so many more things. I've addressed other addictive behavior that I think I was just leaning on as like a crutch before. Are you um, talking? Are you talking to any professionals? Like you have a yeah, or a psychologist, a psychiatrist you go to, or anything? Yeah. So, like, part of my thing now is, um, like, so I do a twelve-step thing. I have a therapist. I have a psychiatrist. I'm in sober living. Uh, I can speak to that if you want me to like clarify about that. And then I have like a counselor too, like at sober living or whatever. And then I yeah, like, pretty much what? everyone I hang out with is, is sober. Why don't you talk about sober living? Yeah. For me, that's been like the complete difference maker. Um, it's not, I'm going on like four years now that I've been in this setting and this can be anywhere from being like highly institutionalized, like almost locked up to like what I'm in now is just an apartment. that's like a, you know, three flat. So there's like, there's, well, there's six apartments in the building, uh, two guys per unit. It's just a normal apartment, like two bedrooms. We each have our own bedroom, you know, kitchen, whatever laundry. And, so 12 guys in the building and everyone in here is sober and we have like group twice a week um, with like a licensed counselor. And then there's like subjected to random drug screening. And then uh, that's really it. There's like a curfew. Um, yeah, that's, that's all that they really ask of us. And it's just, it's like a place to, to help me stay accountable um, and help me be surrounded by like, like-minded people um so i look at it as like a safe safe place for me to be you know in this crazy world because like walking down the street i smell weed every day i walk by the liquor store i walk by 
this doctor, that doctor, the pharmacy, whatever, and all that. Uh, CVS on every fucking corner. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, like, sober living's been a huge thing for me. Like, I, like, to me, the, the opposite, like, I heard this awesome TED Talk, and this guy's like, the opposite of addiction is not recovery, it's, it's community. And, like, saying isolation is addiction, it's a disease of isolation. Like when I was getting fucked up, like in the depths of my addiction, I didn't fucking talk to anyone. I would, I would force myself to go to work so I could get a paycheck to pay for my habit. And I would come home. I would run home and fucking lock that door, pull the blinds down, turn off my phone and, and zone out from reality and the rest of the world. I didn't show up for anything. And it was all about me and how can I, feed this fucking you know uncontrollable urge within me and again like now in recovery it's like i'm surrounded by people all the time so i'm forced to like communicate and not get into that isolated place i think um i think it's dangerous out there now too i think it's the landscape's even changed since you were doing it because now fentanyls and everything you you take you take one little thing of that and you're fucking dead i mean people are drug dealers are putting it in coke drug dealers are putting it i even saw a thing recently they're coating uh lsd with it now it's like what the fuck are you doing that for but um yeah it's it's why they're doing it for any of that shit isn't that shit expensive I don't know. I have no idea, I but I just, why would you mix up, you know, get out your Ajax. Mix and then there's this other stuff called like super fentanyl where it's even like a thousand times stronger than that. Like one what pinprick. What the fuck are they creating this? Yeah. Stuff like I, it, it's a man-made compound. Now right. I'm sure it could be used if, you know, there's trauma centers and different things. Somebody gets in a serious accident. I'm sure there's applications where it's beneficial, but obviously putting it on the market or people selling it or whatever is bad fucking news. Well, that's the thing. There's like, there's prescription fentanyl that was like, came in like a patch form or generally they would give it to like people in hospice. Like, wasn't there like a sucker or something? I don't know. Fentanyl sucker. I think I saw a couple. I don't know, but you know, like Tom. That might have been, been a fucking comedy skit. I don't Tom, know. Tom Petty, Prince, you know, I think, I don't know if right, Michael Jackson's right, was right. like all these fucking famous people. That's how they're dying. Well, right. Because like, you would get IVs or whatever, you know, and it was it was people that were on like their deathbed, and now it's become like, like you said, it's like man-made, produced in, uh, you know, on the black market, like in China, at like, you know, like some bullshit version of it, and they're just putting it in everything because, like, for me, it's like I want to get that ultimate high, you know, and I and I haven't fucking dabbled in any fentanyl, thank God. And I was getting all my stuff from a pharmacy, like, and that I think, like, while while in a sense, like, I knew what I was taking, that didn't mean that I was what I was doing wasn't life threatening, you know. I've I've overdosed. I've woken up in the ICU. Two days later, not knowing what happened, you know, with the catheter in my dick strapped to the bed and a fuck hooked up to a ventilator. And that's all yeah. from, you know, something a doctor prescribed me. That's because I take it to excess. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, enough about, like, the using stuff. But, like, to also to answer your question as far as, like, recovery goes, it's just, 
it's a completely new way of life for me. And today, like, I don't think I've ever been this happy before in my life. And it's like, I have a purpose. I'm connected to people. Um, I'm pursuing, you know, a career in a field that's like what I feel like I was meant to do. You know, I worked in banking for eight years throughout this whole period when I was spiraling out of control. And I went to a treatment one time and the counselor disclosed like she was in recovery. And I was like, maybe I can do this. And like, it was going on like five years now. Um, but this has been like a dream of mine to like help other people and like get myself sober and like do what I can to spread the message and like help anyone I can. So in the last three years, like I, it's been four years now. I resigned from my banking job. I got a job at Starbucks, worked there for a year and a half. That was like a recovery job. Humbled me like no other, you know, coming from like this corporate banking wealth management position to like being a barista was definitely a, a different experience, but I needed it. You know, I think it, it grounded me and, um, Applied to school, got into Loyola for social work. So I'm getting my master's in social work and my CADC, which is certified alcohol and drug counselor. And yeah, like now I, I've committed my life to like carrying the message and, and helping as many people as I can, like showing them that recovery is possible. I mean, that's awesome. I think in this day and age, I think it's, Kind of, it's almost like what you went through. You have deep knowledge and, and personal insight into the stuff, as where a counselor that just went to school for it might not have that same perspective. And not to mention everything that's going on with the whole opioid crisis and and people taking all sorts of fucked up drugs, and right. um, uh, it's spreading, man. It really is. Younger and younger kids, and it's going into areas that uh, you know aren't just metropolitan. You know, it's spreading out into the sticks and stuff. Um, but I think that, like I said, you have a unique insight and uh, I think it's, everybody has a purpose and obviously your purpose was to go through what you went through. So now that you can help, you know, other people go through it. And, uh, you know, I think that's the most powerful, um, I guess, way to help people is, is to actually experience something yourself and then work from the inner workings of what you know. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. The moral of the story, don't become a banker. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, so my question is, this is kind of a, a, a unique question, but I think, um, there's always been talk of should drugs be legalized completely all drugs, taking away that criminal element, taking away the stigma, uh, what you said about community. If there was a community, it would be putting pressure on people to stop as opposed to like black sheeping people. Oh, this guy's fucking shooting up in the corner by himself or, you know, whatever, something along those lines. Yeah, so, so you're saying, what do I think about like legalization? Yeah, I think like Port- Portugal legalized everything, and there's a lower drug rate yeah. there now since they've done that. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like the way I look at it is the problem is not drugs and alcohol. Like the problem is me, the way I perceive things, the way my brain functions, and like the way I operate, you know, and it's, it's the way I, I interact. Like 
the way I understand it now is that I have like, it's like I have an allergy to drugs and alcohol. Once I take one, I want more and I can't stop. And there's also like another component to that. And it's like this obsession in my mind. And when I don't have it, that's all I can think about. And it's like, until I have, you know, until this change has like come about within me, um, nothing can like break that pattern. So I think like, yeah, that would totally help. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not that familiar with like the whole thing in Portugal, but I do know that they've, they legalized everything and that, you know, it did it like lowered like total percentage of people using hard drugs and drinking and um, the whole, I like, I definitely think it should be like decriminalized. Like these these people are not criminals because they're getting high. You know, they're doing shady shit when they're high, but they're not bad people. They're sick people, you know, and like it needs to be looked at that way. It needs to be addressed that way. And I do think it would help like decrease the stigma. Um, if it wasn't all, if everything wasn't illegal. Right. If a heroin could get his fix, he's not going to break, you know, you're, you're going through this fucking withdrawal. You're feeling sick. You'll do anything to get that drug. Right. So you're going to break into a car. You don't care. Right. You want to get rid of that feeling. So if they could get their hands on that or get their hands on something that would help them, then right. and there I, would be less crime. So, yeah. And I think too, like for me, I had to hit like multiple bottoms and like, like that's so that I guess this is a fucking interesting thing. Like, would there be an age limit on it? Because I, I am like a fan of like, I always thought like my parents always said when I was younger, like we have addiction in our family, like be careful, you know, you don't understand your brain's still developing. And like what I've learned in school now is like the brain is so like plastic and malleable at, at like that young age that like, like what we were saying earlier, it is so easily influenced and like things are rewired when like you're flooding your brain with all these foreign substances. So like it, it does kind of make it more, it makes it, I think easier to become addicted when you start at a younger age. And I think that like the longer you can prolong using the better off you are and the lower your chances of like becoming addicted. So I do think they're, they're, like, if that were to be the case, like, there should be some sort of age limit on it. But I think that, like, yeah, like if, you, if you allow open access to people, like, they're going to get as much as they want, and they're going to hit their bottom faster, and they're going to realize, like, I, I need to change, you know? Yeah. I think it's a responsibility thing, too. You know, like I was talking about the, um, you know, South America and even Mexico and some parts and stuff. When they have these shamanistic uh, experiences, some of these kids are, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, but they're being taught responsibility. Like, here's a little bit. This is what this is, almost like a coming of age thing. Mm-hmm. Don't fuck with this. It's a powerful fucking tool. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't something to be abused. And I think that we're putting the subject off instead of talking about it. Um, you know, and then when somebody gets, they're like, Oh, what's this? You know, and they have no fucking idea what it does or how powerful it is or, um, what effect it has on somebody. But I think you said something that was actually really important. It's not, the drug is a harmless thing. It's just something that occurs or is made or whatever. It's the person's intentions and reactions to it is, you know, what's important. And I think that 
if more people can just understand that and kind of, you know, um, you know, use that philosophy. If like, think about it, like if, if I'm a, you know, addictive person, maybe I shouldn't do heroin or try it, or maybe I shouldn't try pills or whatever the case may be, you know? Right. Right. I mean, I do think that brings up an interesting like topic though, because like I was saying before that in previous times of sobriety, like I don't think I've actually been sober. Like I've abstained from drugs and alcohol, but I haven't like, truly stopped other addictive behaviors. Like I've just transferred my addiction from drinking and eating pills porn. to <laughs> porn to, uh, you know, getting all codependent wrapped up with someone in a, in a relationship to spend shopping, eating, whatever the fuck it is. Like it can, it's just anything taken to excess. Right. That's why, again, like it's not, it's not the substance. It's not the behavior. It's the person. Do you partake in any type of drug like uh, smoking or caffeine or, uh, lots of caffeine. It's, it's actually not as bad as it was at one point. Um, when I worked at Starbucks, it was like, oh, I'm sure it's like a four hour shift or a six hour shift and have like, 15 shots of espresso. Holy shit. <laughs> now it's like a couple cups of coffee or some tea every day. Uh, the, the one thing that I am still a slave to is fucking vaping. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but I vape like a madman. Um, and I do plan to give that up. I'd say by like year or two, I, I hope to be done with that. But yeah, I've addressed like the, sh- like the shopping thing was a huge cr- crutch for me. Like just go online. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't like the way I'm feeling right now. I'm bored. I'm lonely. I'm tired. I'm whatever. I'll just buy some new shit. You know, like whatever the hell, like the yeah. dumbest thing it might be, and it gives me that little bit of like instant gratification, and uh, you know, then followed by like remorse. Um, I actually, yeah, I'll just say it. Like I had to file bankruptcy because I had so much credit card debt, and. Um, that's not unheard of. I mean, I've heard of other yeah. people around me yeah. that have had similar instances and it's, that's just as much of a disease as gambling or anything else. Exactly. You know? And the, the other thing is like leaning on like a female to get me through being uncomfortable or alone or whatever. And just getting all like, I, I would they su- like in the 12 step community, they suggest that you like don't date or get involved if you're not already like, in a, like in a new relationship and yeah loves a drug too exactly and I, every time i've been like that doesn't apply to me that doesn't apply. and this is like the first time i've actually stayed solo and like okay it's been fucking tough it's been really tough at times but like i've grown so much i think spiritually from this um experience of like realizing like I need to focus on me and before I can like bring anyone else into the picture, you know, I need to be solid with myself and right. like having self-esteem and self-love and compassion and all that shit. Well, that's just going to bring so much more to the relationship when For you sure. do move into one. Do you know about the, uh, do you know what the Hamilton scale is? I don't. It sounds okay. familiar. I feel like I should. Okay, so it's like an anxiety thing. So like one, yeah, yeah, okay. if you're at one, you're fine. If you're at yeah. 50, you're freaking the fuck out. Um, hey. So a good night's sleep on this scale can move you six points. 
Good eating well can do the same thing. Taking Zoloft, Xanax, any of that shit can only move you one point. And this is scientifically proven. Um, so I think that, you know, people that take that stuff, like I said, I think it helps some people. And it, even if it gives you that one point, sometimes for depending on what position you're at in the, the recovery or in that disease, that might be super beneficial. You yeah, know, if you're on the edge, man, you might. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I think though, people with these diseases, depression, anxiety, whatever, I don't think they, you know, I've been a big insomniac my whole life and I've recently started to make an effort to, go to bed early, get a good night's sleep, wake up early. And it, it, there is something refreshing about it as well um, that I, you know, like I said, I've been doing it my whole, mostly in my adult life since like high school. So um, I think people don't put enough value on proper diet, exercise, and getting a good sleep in, um, and they just rely on pills and stuff like that. But studies show that those other things are the most important things. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm all like, being that I'm tra- that I'm training to be a mental health professional, like I'm all for you know the natural alternatives, like talking through shit, you know, diet, exercise, a good night's sleep. Um, that stuff to me is like like it's sad when someone's just like, I can't do this. I need my ADD medication because you don't understand, and it's like, no, I do fucking understand. <laughs> And there is an answer. <laughs> Don't fucking tell me, man. <laughs> you know, like, the, like a hard ass about it. That's that should be your thing. These people uh, come in there. It's like boot camp. Right, right. No, it's it's good. But yeah, man. Like, there's definitely like a natural solution to ninety nine point nine percent of our problems. You know. That's the best I ever feel when I'm working out, I'm on a good diet, you know, I drink a lot of probiotic shit and <laughs> right, right. That stuff you take a bunch of shits gut. and yeah. I, I do, I do. It flushes you out, man. <laughs> <laughs> do you, so do you do you have you had any like spiritual experiences or do you like med- I know I started meditating like a year ago. It's fucking changed my life dramatically. Yeah. Do you do you I, do anything like that or I, I most definitely do. So that's part of like my program of recovery is uh prayer and meditation and that's because like yes so to answer your question i am a i am a spiritual person i pray and i meditate daily i have had multiple spiritual experiences and i have a god of my understanding and to me that is like the solution to all my problems like all those other things help you know i think god works through people so like that's kind of intertwined like with this whole community idea. Um, but like the therapist, the, you know, the meds, uh, diet, exercise, all that stuff helps. But like, to me, the ultimate like thing that has brought about this change and helped me find this new way of living is, is that like, I found God that, you know, I had no, uh, when I, like I always was not a fan of religion and I, I'm, you know, I'm not some religious freak now. Again, I, I say I'm like a spiritual person. I don't go to church. I don't believe in any one organized religion. Um, I don't mind them. Like I'm, if they work for you, cool, you know, but that's not for me. Um, my thing is kind of like personal to me and I communicate you know, with my higher power with God on a daily basis through, you know, formal prayer, usually definitely in the morning, 
uh, and in an, mostly at, at night. I try to at night. Don't always. Um, and then, yeah, I sit down and do, you know, meditation with like this app on my phone or whatever, uh, usually like a minimum of 10 minutes a day. And that has been like a complete, uh, that's completely changed my life. Um, what does the app do? Provide a frequency or something? No, no, it's just like guided meditations, you know. Oh, okay. Um, I'm gonna send you some stuff because so, Kevin, yeah. which is this frequency shit, this shit will blow your mind out. Um, but I uh, I've heard have, that stuff. But have you ever had like an out of body experience doing it or anything like that? No, not not like out of body experience. Like to me, um, the spiritual experience is like a change in my psyche that's like powerful enough to get to help me get past like this drink and drug problem because like you you don't understand like I was in a place where like 24 hours a day you know all I was concerned about was myself and like either recovering from getting high getting high or planning to get high you know like that was all I did I didn't give a fuck about anyone and it was all about me. And like, that was your test though. That was, you could have failed that easily, but you, you, you've made it through there. It's a, it's been a tough road and yeah, not only did you get through it, you're turning it around and then using it to help others. It's pretty fucking commendable, man. So yeah, I mean, that's not a coincidence. Right. Right. And that's the thing. I, I mean, I definitely don't believe in coincidences. Like, I definitely think there's, you know, a bigger plan going on here that's way out of my control. And that's why I say, like, I do think all this happened for a reason that like every time, you know, what I thought was like this awful experience of relapsing and losing my sobriety and going back out, like it's all gotten me to a place to be where I'm at today where I can help other people and, you know, am willing to take all the suggestions, you know, that I'm given and like, just, you know, actually listen to someone else and take their feedback and realize, like, it's, it, it's not just not all about me. Like, this has nothing to do with me. You know, this is, like, a way bigger picture here. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up on a couple of funny stories. Um, <laughs> I think you're not, you know what I want to talk about. Music class in seventh grade? The first one I want to talk about is actually one that, primarily eyewitness, but I think you'll get a kick out of this. So Kevin was talking about when he was drinking a lot when he was 25, I had moved back to uh, Detroit and was for like a year and was like living with him. <laughs> he got so hammered one night. He came home. He started making food in the microwave. Uh, he, I fucking hear a crash. I go, what the fuck? I run into the kitchen. This kid's flailing under a heavy microwave. It's on top of his chest and he's just flailing like a fish on the ground. It looked like some fake fucking scene out of a movie. Um, and I think that was kind of what he wasn't, you know, I don't think you're an alcoholic, but that was definitely a wake up call. I Bruised think. a couple ribs and, yeah. you know, <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. But the other thing I want to talk about is, uh, you and I had been hanging out a lot when you moved to Chicago, but you had gone back to Detroit for something and you guys were at the idiot oh, together. Why don't you guys, why don't you tell that story? Uh, from your point of view, and then he can chime in with. I mean, all I, I all I remember was I was in the bathroom and 
I, I was running my mouth as I do. I didn't have I didn't have you, Maisie, to... in a bathroom. <laughs> this kid's running his mouth in a bathroom. I wasn't running my mouth. I was just making you know comments <laughs> about different things, and I said the wrong thing to to the wrong guy, and uh, he 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 choked me. What did you What did you say? You said something like you doing drugs in here or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, something like some who's smoking crack or something. <laughs> <laughs> These guys looked a little ratty, and uh, they probably they probably were, so they didn't like that. And... So they fucking grab. What did you see in there? I see. So it's weird because I I remember it, but I don't. Like I I remember certain specifics, but not like the whole thing. Yeah, I feel like we were in there, we were pissing, and then the, yeah, there was some like you said, there was some like ratty dude in there. what's going on somebody's smoking crack in here and the guy like just fucking looked at him stared and just like grabbed him and just choked him up again i mean i I feel like he lifted me off the ground too i don't know if this guy had super sid vicious or something man i was just like in awe i'm like wait what's going on and then i don't know like how you got out of it but i I wiggled out man wiggled out and then didn't you like scurry off? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was drinking. I don't really remember it all either. It's weird how you know, the memories of the night, especially when you're drinking, it's like, yeah. what is the truth? What really happened? Cause I saw it this way. You saw it that way. I'm sure it happened somewhere in between, <laughs> right. but yeah, Sid vicious strangled me, you know, <laughs> moral of the story. Don't, don't point don't. out people's rattiness to themselves. No, no. no. <laughs> I mean, it's a good point, though. It kind of just sums up the whole partying genre. It's like we were—I was drinking. I was, the filter was gone, and you just get yourself into bad situations. I feel right. it's. Right. So they talk about spirits. You know, the word spirits for alcohol. They used to think that when you would drink, your body would be inhabited by spirits. You know, mm-hmm. when you when you because seriously, that's a thing. Because people don't. You know, people say that you become your true self. I actually think it's the opposite. I think you let your dark part of your ego out. Um, and this thing just runs rampant because there's no governor on this thing. Um, right. So that's my opinion on that. Well, it really just... depends on your personality, too. Some people drink, they get angry. Some people, they get sad. Some people, they get goofy, you know. Yeah. But again, it, I don't think I, I agree with you in the sense that, yeah, I don't think it's your best self, at least. I don't think you're putting your best self forward when you're drinking booze and you know, sad thing is our society is just plastered everywhere. I was at Little Caesars Arena the other day, and I was trying not to drink, and it's just like, good luck. I was going to ask you too, Matt, uh, does your, uh, you know, are your past addictions restrict you from going anywhere? Do you think mm. twice about going to particular events? Absolutely. That's, that's an awesome question. Um, so, yeah, like I have to be super honest with myself, you know, like before I'm going to do something, I, I mean, I have to question my motive, like what's my reason to be there. And like, you know, like my program teaches me that like, if I'm spiritually fit, I can go anywhere and do anything. Now that should be that I have like a valid reason to be there. If I want to go to the bar and watch people get fucked up and like live vicariously through them, then like, no, I, I don't, I don't fucking belong anywhere near there. But at the same time, like if I'm going to like support someone's like show up for them. It's their birthday, whatever, you know what I mean? And I feel like comfortable going, then I'll go. But yeah, at the end of the day, I'm like, if this is going to put my sobriety in jeopardy in any way, shape or form, I just don't go. Like I play it safe rather than sorry. So I've 
yeah, I mean, I've had to cut off like friendships and I've had to like not go and partake in a bunch of stuff. Like that's actually super interesting that you bring that up because like I hung out with my brother two weeks ago and like, I couldn't be around, like, I, I'm not going to be hanging out with him again anytime soon in that setting. Like, we went out to eat, and then we went to this, like, place that he's a member at, like, this members-only club, and I was, like, okay to go, but it was, like, watching him get intoxicated was not good for me. And I'm, I'm like, that boundary has to be put up where, like, nope, that's not going to happen again. So, yeah. It's, yeah. It's Don't you think, though, like, couldn't you say to him, like, hey, man, can we just go out and not do something? Like, just be brothers and just hang out and stuff, you know? So, yeah. Uh, yes, I would. I would say that. Sorry. No worries. Yes, I would say that. Um the problem is I've come to the realization and conclusion that I think he has an issue himself. And I know that like, if anyone tried telling me I have a problem when I was in it, I would have told him to go fuck themselves. Right. So I'm in like a, a, a weird spot where I'm just going to set up that boundary and, and I'm going to tell him how I feel and say like, that wasn't cool for me. I don't want to partake in that. And it was sad to see you do that. But, uh, you know, I can't. I'm well, I just think, it, like, where's the respect for you? You know, I like your brother. I've always yeah. liked your brother. He's a good guy. But what's the, where's the, the respect? Yeah. Like, knowing what you've been through, like, why not just like, stay for a night or wait till you go home or something, you know? Exactly. And that's the thing, like, totally disrespectful to me. He's, this whole time, he never drinks in front of me. And that's what's concerning. Like, the last two times we've hung out, He's not just drank. He's gotten shit faced in front of me. And the fact that you can't not do that for those three hours that we're together is like super concerning to me. And it makes me think like he's getting out of control himself. So, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like people with addiction, we're not bad people. It's like, it's under the influence. We do fucked up things, you know, like we're sick. Well, I know some people, see it as like, oh, I went to a bar and I didn't drink. It made me stronger. But it seems like for you, that's not the case. It's almost like a case-by-case scenario and the motive behind yes. and the, well, the scenario the, itself. There's like a saying. It's like, you know, you go to the barber shop enough times and you're going to eventually get your hair cut. It's like if I'm hanging out in a bar, like I just have no business being in a fucking bar. Like I, there was a period of sobriety when I was dating a chick. She was like a few years younger. She had all these friends that would go out and, you know, get wasted. And I would go out and drink like six Pepsis at the bar and just like encourage them to drink more. And like, just so fucked up. Like, what am I doing? And I was miserable. Like I I didn't enjoy that shit. Like, again, I had no business being in a fucking bar. And especially I think as time goes on, like I didn't get sober to sit in my apartment and do nothing. Like I got sober to like live my life, you know? So, I think as time goes on, like, I'll feel more comfortable going to more shit. But, yeah, like, it's especially in that first year, like, there's a lot of things that I've said no to. One more thing. Do you think it's in uh, we've talked about this and how much of an impact that um, the earthquake you were in in uh, Japan was Kobe? Is that where it was? Yeah. Um, Do you think maybe going back there one day 
clean and sober and just kind of enjoying the experience would kind of have a somewhat of a soothing effect on your soul. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I like the way you put that. Um, that would be really fucking cool. I mean, I've actually always wanted to go back and I think that I'll go, let's do this. (laughs) Yeah. Like especially going back sober would be awesome. Like, you know, I, I'm full of emotions these days and, you know, I'm learning to embrace like the ups and the downs and, you know, everything in between. I think that'd be really fucking cool. Um, you know, uh, kind of bring your whole disease and path full circle. So then you can just kind of move on from everything. Yeah. 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 That'd be awesome. All right, dude. Well, thank you for coming on. This was fucking awesome. We got to have you back on. You'll be our go-to uh, drug guy. <laughs> recovery yeah, guy. Recovery guy. That's what I meant. I meant, you know, because look, we've done episodes, pro, not pro-drug, but just talking about it, because I yeah. think this is important, the balance, you know, the the like you said, everything's black and white, or there is a gray area, but I think in terms of we're talking about this kind of stuff, it kind of is do or die in a sense for most people, so... Definitely. Yeah, man. Uh, best of luck to uh, your new endeavor. Uh, you're obviously a smart dude, you know, hearing all the stories of your schemes on how to get this drugs. If you take that energy and, you know, put it into your work, I have no doubt you're going to be quite successful. So thank you brothers. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. This was awesome. It was good catching up with you guys. I'm looking forward to seeing you in October. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. See brother. You, see you at my wedding and we'll all have a right. good time. All right, guys. Peace. Peace.